Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that you would fill our hearts, our minds, and our eyes with wonder, that you would fill us with awe of who you are, and that you would open your open our eyes to the truths in your word and help us to grasp the mission that you've put before us. Pray in Jesus' name. We are going to be back in Isaiah 6 today. Um, last week we started uh, with the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6. We looked at uh, how a clear vision of God's awesomeness, a clear vision of, of who God was led Isaiah to a, a place of awareness of his sinfulness. See, there's a direct connection between our awe of God and our awareness of sin in our lives. I think we have a tendency, I think especially in Western Christianity, uh, to quickly move uh, from a place of awe to a place of familiarity, to a place of comfort, comfort. And we forget that the God that we profess, the God that we are claiming to know is holy, 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 like the seraphim uh, proclaim before him. He's completely and totally different from us. In himself, he's absolutely morally perfect. And in Isaiah chapter 6, God gives Isaiah a vision of that. And his first response is what we talked about last week, is woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God responds to that confession that Isaiah makes. And the seraph takes the coal from the altar and touches his lips and purifies Isaiah of his sinfulness and declares him forgiven. His sin was atoned for. It was God's grace. Just like we have through Jesus, it was God's grace that atoned for his sin. If you're a Christian today, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, you've had that woe is me moment. It's essential for us to come and give our lives to Jesus. You've had it. We can't come to faith in Jesus without understanding that our sin separates separates us from it. When we hit that point, when we understand what our sin, uh, where we are in our sin, that's the point when Jesus' death on the cross can go to work, can purify us. That point where we've given up our own pride, our own ability to do it on our own. Uh, and God reaches out through the death of Jesus and purifies us. The challenge I put before us last week was how do we stay in that place? How do we stay in awe of God that our sin, uh, would, that we would be aware of our sin, that we would be aware of where we fall short, and that we would cling to Jesus? That we wouldn't lose sight of His holiness. And we wouldn't lose sight of our need to continually grow in our own holiness. First Peter 
1, 15 and 16. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I don't think this is that we come to Jesus and we need to be perfectly holy, but we need to strive for holiness in our conduct. That we need to strive to be progressively moving closer and closer to Jesus. That's what I put before us last week, that awe of God would drive us to a place where we would want to become more and more holy. That awe of God would keep us in that place. So how did it go for you guys last week? I found it incredibly challenging to live in that. To be honest, it, it was it was a, a spiritual battle all week for me to live in a place of awe. And yet, God overwhelmed me time and time again um, by His grace and that His grace was sufficient for me in those moments where I was struggling with keeping Him in His high and lifted up place in my life. Um, he overwhelmed me this week. As we move forward today, we're going to finish out chapter 6. So if you turn in your Bibles with me, uh, we're going to start in verse 8 today. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. This might be one of the most quoted verses Old Testament verses in all of Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, when we want to be about the mission, we want to be about uh, the gospel and spreading it. I want us to take a fresh look at this verse today. This is the first time in all of Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah hears God's voice. He hears the seraph, the seraphim speak between each other, holy, 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 The seraphim is the one that speaks to him and tells him his sin has been atoned for. This is the first time that he hears God's voice. I thought it was really cool this week as I looked at that. God's not even talking to him. Right? This is our glimpse of the Trinity. God is talking amongst himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having this conversation. And Isaiah was supposed to hear it. It was intentional. But this was not a question that God was asking Isaiah. It was asking himself. He was asking the, the Son. He was asking the Spirit. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I get this picture in my brain of Isaiah's reaction. It's like that kindergarten kid, right? He's... Here in this conversation, he's like, ooh, 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 I got the answer. Here I am, send me. He can't wait. He can't wait because he's in this place of awe. He has seen God. And he can't wait. Here I am. Here I am, God. Send me. He doesn't consider. He doesn't start with the, God, could you tell me a little bit about this? I'm going to pray about it for a week or two and I'll get back to you. Right? That's where we like to be. Um, tell me all about it. But Isaiah doesn't respond that way. 
he responds in awe and says, here I am, here I am. He responds out of that awe. It's probably a really good thing as we move forward. Starting in verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah's call was to preach a hard message. His call from God was to proclaim the awesomeness of God and to proclaim that people were sinful and to proclaim that they needed to change. God tells him it's going to be fruitless. God tells him that all his his preaching and all his things um, were going to push people away they were going to push it. It was going to push them into their pride and their stubbornness, and it was going to be a downfall. Isaiah didn't get the call of God. He said, "Here, I'm going to send you, and and hundreds of people are going to trust Jesus." He didn't get that call. God intended for Isaiah's preaching to push people away. He wasn't asking Isaiah for that light and fluffy message. He was asking Isaiah to bring a hard word to the people. And Isaiah says, How long, O Lord? And the answer is even worse. He said, Until the cities lie in waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is desolate is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many, in the midst of the land, and it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is in its stump. Isaiah was to preach a message that was going to drive people away. It was going to harden hearts. He was called to preach that message until cities lay waste, until Israel was overcome by its enemy, until there was very little left. There's a point he was to preach until the till Israel hit rock bottom. There's something about rock bottom that then allows God to work. He puts it this way Though a tenth remain in it, a small remnant of people remain in it that are faithful, it's going to be burned again. There's still going to be challenges and hard uh, hard times. And then a holy seed is going to be in the stump. God was sifting His people, the people that claimed to be His people, down to the very smallest piece. And that was going to be the holy seed that they were allowed, uh, then allowed to carry the message of the Messiah. See, Isaiah had to have awe to preach this message. He had to be have an understanding of how awesome this God was. Because if I'm honest, I'm not carrying that message without a, a clear image of who God is. I'm not carrying that message. That's way too hard. But Isaiah had that awe. 
He had a clear picture of God's glory and majesty. And he was able to carry it out. We're sitting here and probably thinking, okay, what does that have to do with me? I think we're all called. You may have not had the vision of God's glory in the temple, high and lifted up. But we have the Word of God. We have the Scriptures. This is God's revelation to us. We have the stories of Isaiah's call. We have the stories of the other prophets' calls. We have Jesus' own words as He walked on this earth. And we're called to follow them. So if you turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is right at the end of of Jesus' time on earth after the resurrection. This is the last He gives to His disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to tie it back to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. We have to have an understanding that Jesus came to them. And this is the very same God that Isaiah saw in the temple. It's the same one. The disciples had an awe of Jesus. They had seen a resurrected Jesus. We get to see this picture of him. We have to understand that that is the same God. It's the same place. I have a tendency to read the Old Testament and see that pictures that the Old Testament paints of this awesome God, a God that would appear in a pillar um, of fire or in, in a burning bush, a God that's distant and up here. And then I read the New Testament and I have a sense that Jesus was this relational God that is personal. And somehow in my brain I get stuck in the, and, I feel, and I don't understand that, there's, that this is the same God. This is exactly the same God that Isaiah saw. It's the same God that caused the, the woe in Isaiah. Sometimes I'm guilty of being too casual with Jesus. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth was given to me. He had all the power and all the authority, all the strength to give us this mission, to put it before us. And here's the, the mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's an imperative command here to make disciples of all nations. It's acted on by three, there's three action words. There's going, 
there's baptizing, and there's teaching. We're going to break those three things down, what I feel like um, God has been teaching me about what these words mean. Um, to go, go implies a movement. It implies that we need to step outside of our comfort zone. It's not okay for us to just stay with the people that we're always around. It's not okay to stay in the comfort of our little Christian community. There's a temptation that we can just make our disciples wherever we're at. Josh, you can make a disciple of Shane or vice versa, and we'll just stay in this little tight-knit group. But I don't think that's what this go was. Jesus wanted the disciples to move out from their Jewish brothers. They wanted them to move out to push the gospel to all nations. I don't think this necessarily means that we have to pick up and move. It doesn't mean that we all need to become missionaries. That's not the call here. But I think it's part of it. I think it means that we have to be actively involved in reaching the world. We have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone of Fargo-Moorhead or wherever it is that you've been planted and be willing to go to the world. Praying, giving, and going should be a part of our Christian lives. Your goal might be 99% here. Your goal might be 99% your coworkers, your neighbors, your home. But there's a component of it where God would want to show you the world. He'd want to show you His heart. Last year, about the same time, I got the opportunity to go to Rwanda. And I knew when, when I said yes to that trip, I knew that God was telling me, I want you to go. I want you to rejuvenate that heart for the world. See, for me, uh, for me and Christina, we've always thought about leaving Fargo-Moorhead. We've always desired that uh, and prayed through that and, and wanted to go. We've stepped out in faith, applying for, uh, for jobs outside of this area. And yet God keeps keeping us here. But last year I got the opportunity then to say yes. Yes, God, I'll step out of my comfort zone. I'll step out of what I know. I'll step out of the busyness of my work and I will go to a place that's completely foreign to me. I'll go to Africa. To a country that's been ravaged by ethnic cleansing. Ravaged by genocide. To a people that, honestly, all of them are this high and they're the darkest skinned people I've ever uh, met. I do not fit in that place and yet God gave me a heart for that place while we were there. The first Sunday that we were in Rwanda, we stepped into a worship service at a, at a church. And the church was worshiping. They had started before we got there, but they were worshiping in English. And they were worshiping in Kinyarwanda. And they were worshiping in French. And it was such an awe-inspiring moment to see this little church get the nations in their worship. 
this little church um, showing me a picture of God's heart for all nations to know him and to gather together and to worship him. It blows your mind and it fills you with awe. It gives you a heart for the world that would make you want to go. And the second action that we see in here is baptizing. I think this is much more than water baptism by immersion. I think this is much more than a prescription for how we should baptize. In fact, I'm not even sure it is a prescription, although we hold to it in most uh, Baptist churches, that we would immerse somebody in water and lift them out and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think this is more about evangelism. This is more of God saying, I want you to be involved in reaching people with the message of Jesus. Being a part of people seeing Jesus for who He is, being a part of seeing His payment for them sins, for their sins. I think He wants us to be involved in evangelism. When I was a young Christian, maybe two years old as a believer, uh, I read a, a verse or a, a quote from D.L. Moody. It says, There is no greater honor than to be the instrument in God's hands of leading one person out of the kingdom of Satan and into the glorious light of heaven. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced watching a person? as you're talking to them and explaining to them Jesus, watching the light bulb come on in their heart and having them say to you, no, I get it. I need Jesus in my life. It's an awe-inspiring moment. It fills you with joy. I think it keeps us in that place of awe. It reminds us of who we were when we didn't have Jesus. It reminds us of that process of us coming to understand that He paid for it all. And that He's removing our sins. That He's removed them completely and He continues to purify and hold and make us holy day by day. It's an amazing opportunity to go Part of that then is baptizing. Uh, but I think the, the big part of that is, is that we would evangelize the world, that we would tell people around us that they need Jesus, that they're dying without Him. And it's great for them, but it's also great for you as the one who carries that message. You will experience God in a new way. The last action is teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I think this is discipleship. I think this is one believer. This is the component of this that we can do right here inside of our church. This is one believer helping another believer grow further in their walk with Jesus. 
This is 2 Timothy 2.2, right before Aaron's passage this morning. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. And trust what God is doing in your life. And trust what you're learning to other people. This requires us to step into the lives of people. There's no secret that I love community groups for that, uh, for that reality. It gives me an opportunity to step into the lives of other people. It gives other people the opportunity to step into my life. When you open your heart, to teaching from your brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll be amazed how God will transform you. I can remember one of the first years of playing softball, maybe first couple years of playing softball, and I was struggling with a coworker, and I was wrestling with it. And I can remember Shane and Aaron being with me, but Shane very point blank telling me, Scott, I think you need to check your heart. And I blew it off in that moment. I blew it off because I was like, gosh, this isn't the time we're playing softball. This isn't the time to deal with my heart issues. But I needed to hear it. And if I wasn't in a relationship where uh, another person was caring about my spiritual growth, I would have never had that next morning experience where God walked me through the book of Jonah and helped me realize that I had a hard heart. That I had a part of my heart that didn't desire somebody to know Jesus because I just didn't like him. Praise the Lord that I had a brother willing to stand up and call me out on that, to disciple me. See, discipleship isn't always the older, more mature believer teaching the younger believer. Sometimes you're on an even playing field. A lot of times, it's something that's a brand new Christian and you see their, their fire and their awe and it changes your life. And you get energized by who they are and you're discipled upwardly. See, for us to make disciples, we have to be willing to teach other people. We have to be willing to step into lives and, and help each other grow. I would encourage you, if you've been a part of this church for, for 30 some years, we need you to step into this. To step into teaching us. Those of you who have raised families, I need you. Those of you who saw my morning, I don't feel like I should have been up here because I was chasing one of them through the church getting frustrated. And I had to spend most of my worship time confessing my sin because I was angry. Um, and yet, uh, you guys have walked that and you can encourage us in that. I think we have a tendency to, to fear discipleship. We have a tendency to think that we're not good enough, that we're not perfect enough. And if that were true, they would never let me stand behind here and talk to you. See, if you know Jesus and if you're passionately pursuing him, you are qualified to teach another person who Jesus is. You are qualified to speak into the lives of another person. And we need that. 
So how do we live out that calling? You guys know me. I don't, I don't like to not have some, some details, some thoughts. I think first we pray. Ian Bounds, and I'm going to butcher this because it's not an exact quote, but, uh, he makes the comment that it is vitally necessary that we speak to God about men before we speak to men about God. You should be praying for people daily. It's one of our questions on the back of the sheet. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying that they would trust Jesus? Who are you praying um, that they would give their lives to Jesus? Are you actively praying for people? Because you can't make disciples if you're not willing to pray. Second thing is to know people. I'm going to go outside of Calvary here. You have to know people who don't know Jesus. You have to be involved in the lives of people who need Him. Do you know your neighbors? I know some of them. I don't know all of them. I'm convicted when I don't know the other ones. Do you know the people that your the parents and the families of the kids' sports teams that you're that your kids sport, uh, play sports with? Do you know your coworkers? Are you involved in your life? In, are you involved in their lives? See, we have to know people. We can't make disciples of all nations if we're not willing to know people. I think the third thing is we need to look for opportunities to go. I couldn't stand here if I would have said no to that trip to Rwanda. Because it changed my life. It gave me a, a love for people outside of this. It gave me a new passion for missions. For seeing the gospel go out from this place. So I would encourage you, look for opportunities to go. Like I said earlier, 99% of your life might be spent right here in Fargo-Moorhead. And you might be called to make disciples here. But that does not mean that you can't go, give, and pray for the world. Jesus doesn't leave us in that place of mission and then not bring us this last sentence. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the verse I've been clinging to for these last two weeks as I feel most of the time completely inadequate to stand before you and try to teach this word. That's the, the promise that I've been holding to. That God would be with us. That God would be with me. And that I'd be able to carry His word for His glory. But it's a promise for all of us. We don't do this. We don't do mission by ourselves. This is His work, and we just get to be the instruments in His hands, as D.L. Moody put it. The Holy Spirit goes with us. And gives us all the power and all the strength that we need to live out this mission. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, 
Here am I. Send me. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would respond out of awe of you, just like Isaiah did. That we would be so full of wonder at who you are and what you've done in our lives. That we'd be so full of what you did on the cross to save us from our sins, to rescue us, to change us, to give us life abundantly. That we would be so full of that that our response would be, here I am, here I am, send me. Send me to the nations, God. Send me to my neighbors, send me to my coworkers, send me to my friends that need you. Father, would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen.